everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One podcast, where we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea on that week's Parsha. Matan will mark 35 years of women's learning with the Yishai Rubo concert at the Jerusalem Theater on October 8th, the 13th of Tishrei, right before Sukkot. If you will be here in Israel, we would love to see you there. On the 8th of Tishrei, October 3rd, Matan will be having a pre-Yom Kippur learning day with a wonderful lineup of Shurim, Dr. Yael Ziegler, Rabbanit Nechama Goldman Barish, and Rabbanit Sarla Rosen. The program will take place in person and with Zoom access. Registration for the coming academic year is well underway. Please check out the Matan website for all relevant information. Lastly, if you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. Parshat Nitzavim is the first of the teeny tiny parshot of Sefer Dvarim. The parsha opens smack in the middle of chapter 29 and its instructions for the covenant acceptance ceremony, the time and place of which are never revealed to us readers. The Parsha describes what will happen if we do not follow the covenant, but then chapter 30 opens with the possibility of restoration and provides some of our most foundational imagery of tshuva, God circumcising our hearts, the repeated phrase shuv, and the intertwined nature of the nation's spiritual state and their continued presence in Israel. This short Parsha includes some of the most quotable psukim in all of Dvarim, if not the entire Torah, including... The idea being that the covenant has been created with all of the present and future generations of Israel. The pasuk, This idea which has been interpreted in so many different ways that God sort of holds the keys to all that which is unclear and not understandable to humans and that we are only able to understand a certain portion of those ideas ourselves. And the pasuk, which is included in the modern prayer for the welfare of Israel, the idea that we will be scattered around the world and that God will bring us back one day to Israel. These are just a few of the famous sukim that are packed into this short parsha. Today's episode will focus on the following famous passage from the parsha's concluding section. Surely this instruction which I have enjoined upon you to this day is not too baffling for you, nor is it beyond reach. It is not in the heavens that you should say, who among us can go up to the heavens and get it for us and impart it to us that we may observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea. In the Talmud, this statement means that the authority for interpreting Torah has been handed over to the humans who fulfill it, specifically to the rabbis who were given the authority to decide how Torah law should be practiced. To develop and unpack different concepts of Loba Shemayimi, I have invited Rav Betzalel Daniel, who currently serves as the Rav of the Reshit de Gancha community in Efrat. He serves as a Dayan in the Gazit Beitin, founded the Moreno Smicha program under the auspices of Eretz Chemda, and perhaps most importantly, teaches in the Marot Halacha program in Matana Sharon. Aravatzal, it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So as we slowly start to unpack this idea of Loba Shemaimi, I thought that we could first begin in the Psukim themselves, because while I just provided sort of a poetic translation, provided, by the way, by the JPS translation of the Torah, 
There are many ways to interpret these psukim themselves, what it really means, what is our concern that the Torah be so far away or perhaps unfulfillable. So let's, let's start there possibly with the way that we can understand these psukim. So thank you. I want to start from the broader context and think of what happened in the last few chapters before we go into the psukim themselves. The Torah is choosing two things, not high in the sky and not beyond the sea. These two things have been mentioned in the last few couple of chapters in other contexts. The one is at the end of Parashat Kitavo, the, la- the end of the curses that would come upon those who transgress the Torah, Hashem will send them off beyond the sea. He'll send them in boats to the other side of the sea. Going back to our Pasuk, Lo Layam. So in that, there Am Yisrael is the one who's Mever Layam. And at the beginning of this parak of chapter 30, So Am Yisrael in the last couple of chapters, end of chapter 28, and then the, cha- and the beginning of chapter 30, Perek Avchet and Perek Lamed, Am Yisrael find themselves across the sea and Bashamayim. And Hashem says, I'm going to take you back. Even if you're going to be at the end of the skies, at the end of the earth, past, past the sea, I'm going to go to the trouble of making sure that you return. But, we reach our psukim, I don't have the same expectation of you. When I tell you keep the Torah, I'm not saying you have to do what I'm doing and go beyond the sea and find the truth of my people when it comes to Hashem and the truth of Torah when it comes to you. So we have this triangle of Hashem, Am Yisrael, and the Torah. And Hashem might send Am Yisrael off to beyond the sea. And it might be that Am Yisrael will choose to be B'Kitzah Shamaim via their sins. Hashem will go to the trouble of making sure we come back, but I will not impose the same thing on you. I think that's, first of all, in terms of the context of the psukim, it's the first point to think about. I think also if we would translate it in today's language, going to the edge of the sea today would be going into space, meaning that was the edge of what they could physically see at that point in time, and they didn't have an ability to see further. So just to sort of understand the use of language here, it's this idea that it's, it's beyond the pale. We can't get there. It's, let's say, where Yona wanted to get to, by the way. Mm-hmm. Meaning it's, it's this place that is beyond the horizon. No one physically can be there anymore. So but that's a really great point. You'd, you'd, you'd connect what you said just now to Loba Shamaim, right? Bashamaim is, so Shmuel in the, in the Midrash says that Loba Shamaim, he means not an astrology, mm. which we might, it's not so clear if he means astrology or astronomy, Right. Yeah. But in their days, until the Middle Ages, astrology and astronomy were very much very serious sciences. Were considered sciences, and you wanted to define how physics worked. You looked into astrology, what we would call astrology. The kind of the the line between physics and metaphysics was in that place of astrology and astronomy. It seems that what Shmuel is saying is, you want to go into, you want to go deep into Torah. You don't need to do that. You don't need to look for metaphysical different ways of interpreting the world, etc. The Torah is right here. You can sit in your own bedroom and understand what the Musar is. So I think what he's saying, of course, he doesn't mean literally in space or in astronomy or astrology or in physics either. It's, it's, all, it's good to know all these things, but to get deep into Torah, you don't really need any of that. It could be concrete, meaning there's something that's concrete and, and attainable about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's one midrash out of a few that were given in the Gemara. Mm-hmm. Let's give a couple more. Another, the other one there is, if I remember correctly, Rav says that Loba Shamaim, there won't be another Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who went up to the Shamaim to bring the Torah. And don't worry, there won't be another one. Loba Shamaim, I brought it down already. It's mm-hmm. done. It's here. Yefe. So some have argued that this has been an answer to Christianity. 
to right, the Christian world say, well, Moshe Rabbeinu, that Torah is kind of dead. We need a new Torah. We need a new covenant. I think that's not really the point. When you look at the Pasuk you mentioned before about what that implies is that we too, we sitting here in this room, we're also at Har Sinai. We were part of that first covenant. That will never change. This connects us to what we're about to do very soon. We're finishing the year of Shemitah. They were going to have Mikes Sheva Shanim. You're gonna, you have the Chova of Hakel, in which you, you want to try to reenact Ma'amad Har Sinai. And you want to be able to say that it's not only you want to do this actively, all of Am Yisrael come together and stand together and receive the Torah as it was received from Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Midrash is saying, and the Pasuk is saying, and the Midrash, based on this Pasuk, is saying, Loba Shamaim, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, went and brought the Torah from the Shamaim, and now it's here. And once it's here, so you want to reenact that, you want to relive that experience every time to remind you, but really, this connects to the beginning of the parsha. I think this Midrash isn't only trying to answer the Christian Tana about Moshe Rabbeinu, will there be another one or not, but also connects to the beginning of the parsha. Truly, you've all received the Torah already. And if you receive the Torah, that means you really can connect it. You really could do it. You don't need to expect another Moshe Rabbeinu to come and give it to you again. Right. So you're saying there's two aspects. One is that I would want to say that there's a concept called Christian polemics, which our audience may or may not be familiar with, which is that over the centuries, and especially in the Middle Ages, many psukim would be taken out of their context in different polemics, sometimes public polemics, debates between uh, Christian and Christians and Jews that Jews were often forced to get involved in, uh, that basically tried to show different psukim in the Torah or in the Nevi'im that support the idea that the New Testament really superseded the Torah, that it has taken its place. And this is one of those rare examples where we have actually a Tanitic explanation that tries to say that this can be used as an anti-Christian polemic, right? That, so that's piece number one that you've brought us, just to sort of fill in a little, a little bit of that background. Uh, and the other piece is the idea that you don't even need Moshe Rabbeinu, right? You don't need Moshe in order to fulfill this Torah. Just like this Torah is relatively concrete, as we first suggested in the first explanation you brought, and we don't need to look into the heavens in order to figure it out. We also don't need another unbelievable leader like Moshe Rabbeinu to make this something that is plausible and feasible in the world that we have today. Okay, so we've sort of looked at two different prisons of this pasuk. I just want to point out on the Peshat level that this, these pasukim appear between those two, between Asher Yishno and Asher Yinenu, meaning you've made the covenant with everyone, and the Hakel that comes up in the next chapter in Periklamed Aleph, the, the mitzvah of Hakel comes up there. And between those two, we're saying, you don't really need another covenant. You should reenact it, but you don't really need it. You, really well, you don't need that you figure. Have, you, you, you might need, need another, you know, sort of right. vowel renewal ceremony, which by the way, you don't know this, but we talk about it in a future episode, which oh. let listeners so know, we'll be that. talking about Hakel. There may be a significance to having a renewal ceremony, but we don't necessarily need that figure, a Moshe Rabbeinu, a particular leader who will reenact that ceremony itself. We can do it sufficiently right. on our own. For the two reasons. You were all there already. Right. So we're our own you witnesses. you all heard Moshe Rabbeinu. You all witnessed that. You all mm -hmm. part of that, truly. And also, we're going to have another way for you to reenact that and to re-experience that. But truly, you're all set. You're good to go. You should be able to get this. Mm -hmm. the, the third Midrash is the one I found most baffling. And here it sounds very much like a Musser. It's not high in the sky, so whoever thinks of himself as high in the sky will not be able to receive Torah properly and to connect the to Torah properly. But then I looked in the Rambam, and the Rambam quotes this in the Halachot. 
in the Rambam Ilchot, Talmud Torah, the Rambam quotes this pshat, and that I found kind of surprising. I think, I think it does connect to the most famous use usage of of Lo B'Shamayim He. The Gemara in Bar Metziah tells us there's a machlokin in Rabbi Yeshua. And Rabbi Eliezer starts moving trees around and makes it and says, if I'm right, that tree will bend over. And if that, if I'm right, the walls of the Beit will start falling, will start collapsing in, um, and the river will start flowing in the wrong direction. All these things happen. And Rabbi Yosha says, that's simply irrelevant to our argument. Finally, he says, the sky will, the sky will give the decree and the bat kol comes, sound from the sky, a voice from the, from the heavens that says, well, why are you even arguing? Of course, Halachazer Rabbi Eliezer always. So what, why is there even an argument? And there famously, Rabbi Yoshua says, Lo hi. And someone was asked, someone says that he knows when Kadosh Baruch Hu heard this, he said, Nitzchuni banai, my, my sons have beat me, right? I was, you, 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 you won this round, you guys, you won this round. Now, earlier on, when I, when I was younger, I found this, you know, very, very brilliant, very clever, how Rabbi Yoshua is able to say, I have a pasuk that happens to say the exact words that would go against this, Proof that, that there's no way, no other way to contradict. If I didn't have the pasuk saying "lo you can't get the answer from the heavens. So how can you con- contradict this, the voice from literally from the heavens? The next part of the story is that Rabbi Eliezer is put in cherem, and this originally seemed very surprising to me. Why, why would that be? Why would they put him in cherem now? What what is so wrong with what he did, especially if we have a way of getting out of it? He's also like the best magician of all time. So right. Someone who could do that, you really want to start up with him? Exactly. That's the Midrashim say about all the kinds of terrible things that happened when he was put in Cherem, truly. But what, what was so wrong about that whole, about what Rabbi Eliezer was doing? Where was the problem? And Rabbi Yoshua's answer. And I think the answer is exactly that. Rabbi Eliezer was exactly going against these psukim. Because Rabbi Eliezer is saying, you guys just don't understand me. If you understood the true, true truth, of course you'd agree with me. And the Batkol comes and says, yeah, of course, the truth, the truth, the heavenly truth is with Rabbi Eliezer, 100%. Obviously, he's right. And Rabbi Yeshua says, we can't live like that. Mm-hmm. We can't live worrying where is the true truth. That's not a way the Torah can work. And it's not the way the Torah wants to work. And the Torah tells us, Lo he, it's saying, you're not allowed to expect, I'm going back to the Moshe Rabbeinu Midrash, you're not allowed to expect some Moshe Rabbeinu to go and get you a new Torah, to get you the answers again. You can't have that expectation. You can't think of yourself as someone, maybe there's some Rabbi Eliezer who's smarter than all of us and he knows the true answers. If you live expecting some genius Rabbi Eliezer who connects to Torah in ways that you, you will never manage to, that only he'll be able to tell us what the halacha is, we'll never be able to do anything. I find this with myself now that as a Rav Kehila in, in several realms, most, I think, looking at, the, at Marot, I think is the worst, where I always question... It's a reference to when women bring, uh, or their husbands bring a rabbi, their... Bidika cloths? Their bidika cloths, yeah, we yeah. can say that. So there, 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 I always question my lying eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, this, it looks like the, the one I've seen a hundred times already, that should be okay. But can I be sure? Do I really mm-hmm. know? And I think that the system is not allowed to work like that. You're not allowed to think in terms of maybe someone else who has clearer eyesight, maybe someone else who knows Torah better, maybe someone else who's smarter has a better answer, has the more exact answer. 
But I want to take a step back. Sure, sure. Because in the third explanation that we brought about Lo Bashemayim He, mm-hmm. it conflates the subject of the sentence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because look. Because when it says, uh, mitzvah hazot, okay, that this mitzvah that we're speaking about is lo bashamayimhi, it's speaking about the Torah itself. It's not speaking about the person. So I'm bringing it out this way because I want to share my train of thought now with you and with everyone listening. So first, when we talk about that you don't need a Moshe or that the um, or that a person can't be bashamayim, we're conflating what the pasuk actually says, which is about the Torah itself. And the piece you said about that we can't really keep thinking that somebody else knows better, I sort of am thinking along a different line, which is that we as humans can't fulfill the Torah wondering always, we would say, what was the authorial intent? Are we doing what God really intended us? And I, when I look at Loba Shemayimhi, I look at it to mean that ultimately it ends up in our hands and that if we keep wondering, did God really intend, right? Did God really intend that we shouldn't use regular toothpaste on Shabbat. If we constantly wonder, have we gotten it right? I find that can be crazy making. You've already brought it to, as a rav, when I have to make decisions, to think that it could, the answer could be outside of me or somewhere else, that itself perhaps is an unhealthy approach. But I think also as a general halachic system or as a general religious practice, that if we keep wondering did we get it right? Or was Torah meant to be interpreted this way? That leads us down a rabbit hole that usually we can't get out of. In terms of what is the Pasuk referring to, right? Loba Shamaim he is clearly saying the Torah is not in the sky. So you can say not in the sky and therefore, therefore you don't need to look up to the skies to find it. Um, Loba Shamaim is also, it's not there to expect someone to bring it down to you, another Moshe Rabbeinu. Rabbi Eliezer is making himself out to be another Moshe Rabbeinu. Mm-hmm. Now, Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu, not quite the Moshe Rabbeinu, has to go up to the sky, literally go up to the sky in order to, to receive the Torah again, but to be Moshe Rabbeinu-minded, to be as... To well, he be, makes the skies work for him. Right, right. He doesn't have to go up to the sky. He makes the skies come down here. Correct. That's right. So, but even before he made the skies say that answer, he knew the answer is, he knew that this is the correct answer because clearly, clearly to him, there is a greater truth that everyone else around me is missing. There's some kind of truth everyone else is missing. So that means that it's still high there in the sky. And he's trying to argue, he's trying to argue there is a truth up there that only I received and no one else received. And the heavens agree and say, yes, there is a truth up here. Bashamaim, there is Torah here that very few of you are managing to receive. And Rabbi Yoshua says that itself is against the system. We prefer an imperfect system that we're in charge of than a heavenly system with the perfected truth. Right. That's the bottom line of the Gemara. And by sending him away, we understand that that's a system we're supposed to remain with, meaning we will take that imperfection over a perfected system with the perfected truth. And more than that, allowing the perfection to take over is dangerous. You put that in Cherem. Seder Beliezer, if you're going to tell people the only way to receive Torah truly. There is some kind of truth out there that's up there. Everyone will be second-guessing themselves all the time. And the system itself doesn't work. You'll always have to find that one Rabbi Eliezer who can give the psak. Otherwise, always machmir, right? Because what other solution do you have? The only way you can go is machmir until Rabbi Eliezer says it's okay. And what happens next generation? Well, let's look for another Moshe Rabbeinu. Good luck. You don't, you don't know if you're going to get that. And in a way, what the irony is, Rabbi Eliezer himself is going against the Torah. 
And that's why he's put in Chayrim. He's put in Chayrim. It's one thing to have an argument within Torah. But he's saying, okay, you presented your arguments, you explained why you think you're right, and now it's up to a vote in the end, ultimately. And once the vote is in, you don't have the right to then say, well, I still have the heavenly agreement, so, so the system doesn't work. That itself is against the Torah. The Torah itself embeds the ability to have Lotasur, to give Chazal the power to create the Gzerot and to create this, uh, decrees within Torah. It has... It has it has all these different rules of how to reach, reach a degree in a world that's not perfect, in an imperfect world. This reminds me of a different kind of way that we play with the Torah. Another thing that's happening because Sheva Shanim, we're ending the Shemitah year, we're going to sign Prisbulim soon. Yeah. Is that a bit of a cheat? How does that work, right? Is that, is Just that, for our, our audience oh, in the right. sentence, a Prisbul is? contract of sorts that allows you to collect loans that you've given before Shemitah, even after the Shemitah kicks in. Once the seventh year is over, you're not allowed to ask back to sue. It's our modern response to the chovot, to the obligations of Shemitah Ksafim. Um, and it's sort of recognizing the need to fulfill all those mitzvot, which apply in Chutzaretz and also in Israel. And this is the mechanism that we use. I will say I'll reference back to an episode I believe it was Parshat Bahar with Rabbi Alan Haber, where we spoke about these concepts there. So in that context, Hillel Azaken says, well, I have two competing ethics here that the Torah itself gave me, two competing ethics. It gave me the ethic of, I want people to give the loans, even though there is the Shemitah, and it has the ethic of foregoing your loans and just not, not asking for them back. So what people ended up doing was they didn't give the loans. And that ruined the market. The, the poor people were the ones who suffered because they wanted loans and they weren't receiving them because, they, because the, the people who had the money, the people who had the means of giving the loans, knew they wouldn't be able to get them back. So we put another mechanism in place in order to preserve that first value, which is right. to enable people to help others in society. Right. So within the Torah system, you try to find, you have the, you have the various values and you say, okay, how does that really work in the real world? Mm-hmm. And then you find a way to say, I'm going to be as halachic as I can while maintaining, while maintaining halacha as best I can and choosing what works best for the greater good. And I don't mean the greater good so you go against Torah, I mean the greater good so you work within Torah, within the Torah system. It's kind of ironic that people consider me a halachic person because I teach halacha in Matan and the Morenu ultimately is supposed to be a halacha program and... It's, and then there's a Rav Kehila, the expectation, many things is also halacha. <laughs> so, but I don't consider myself a halachic person in that sense. What always interested me a lot more in my learning was looking for these ideas, for the underlying ideas within. I'll learn the Gemara and I'll look at the Rishonim and try to understand what the underlying idea within, what the underlying concepts are. To me, the tragedy is always that when, the, when push comes to shove, I have to choose one over the other. If I have a three machloket in the Rishonim, I know that in the end, I'll have to be able, in the end, what I'll tell people to do is only one of them. And we lose the beauty and truth that are, that's in the other ones. But that's part of the system. What, what, what I'm saying is that the Torah includes many of these different ethics, but they were all handed down to us already. They're all here. And Loba is telling us two things. Number one is you have to use your own logic and your own thinking and your own analysis to be able to tease out all the, the ethics of Torah and understand what Hashem wants from you. And we're not allowed to come to the world of tshuva, the world of self-reflection, constantly thinking of, but maybe I got it wrong, but maybe there's a greater truth. Truly, you can sit and you have to learn Torah and the Torah tells you, don't worry. Even if you're getting things wrong, as long as you're doing your best, to understand what Torah has given you. On the terms of this world. 
on the terms of this world mm -hmm. yes in this world's terms the way the world the, this the world here should be working mm -hmm. the way that makes sense that say makes sense and is reasonable to you you're not allowed to worry there's a rebeliezer who knows better mm. and that's where rebeliezer is can't be one of the chachamim anymore he has to be put in because if people have to worry about that if i have to say wait but how do i know that the right thing is to prefer the ethic of people being able to support themselves over the ethic of the hefker and biur shvi'it. How do I make that choice? And the answer is lo b'shamaimhi. You have to use your you have to use your mind and you have to use your logic. I want to take this back to the point of repentance. There's something very dangerous in the previous part of the parak. You mentioned one of the psukim, one of the psukim we had earlier, that Hashem will circumcise our, all of our negative sides and all of our negative aspects. That's Hashem's job. So then we come and we want to reach tshuva in these high holy days that we're coming up to. And we say, but we really can't. Are we able to really be better people? And the psukim, the psukim at the beginning of the Chapter 30, Periclamid say, maybe not. Maybe only Hashem can do that. And then maybe to counter that point of Umal Hashem to say, Umal Hashem there will be a point where Hashem will also do that. But truly, truly, don't go on thinking that only that, that's the only way to get out of this. Even if you find yourself not living your life the way you want, even if you find yourself not living Torah the way you want, you'd want to live Torah. There is ultimately, Hashem promises, but it really, truly is in your hands. If you really are trying your best, that's all there is. And you have to live truly in this world and within the means that Hashem gave you and not expect to be the answer to tshuva. The answer to tshuva really is So there are two ideas that I was thinking about as you were speaking. The first is that we often classify the period of the Mishnah and the Gemara as a move to the world of Chochmah. We actually, we often say it starts even earlier in the period of Bayit Sheni, where we move from a world of divine revelation that's petered out over many years, and then we move into a world of, of human wisdom. Uh, and that, again, it sort of comes up already by Ezra, uh, but it really, it takes root uh, in the literature we have uh, later on, particularly Mishnah and, and then, of course, the Gemara. But sort of the journey you've taken us on today really helps us see that the roots for Chochmah, or using what you said, the values of this world, are very deep in these psukim. That the sort of the dichotomous representation of divine revelation of Torah versus the wisdom or the human earned wisdom that we have from the Chachamim, that not only is it not so accurate because obviously also the Chachamim themselves possess powers that were more than just pure human wisdom, but also the Torah itself provides us with a model of human wisdom, right? That you, there may be things in Shemaim. There are things in Shemaim and they're true, but that's not really the way that God wants us to live out or utilize the Torah in the world we have today. So that was one thought that was coming to mind about the really erroneous representation of Chochmah versus Revelation, that there is a correlation between the two of them, but that the Torah calls us to ultimately live in a world of this world uh, and that we shouldn't reach beyond, even though there very likely is something beyond, but we should try to remain here. And the other piece that you're bringing up in terms of Chodesh Elul is this piece of 
To me, the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day of chesed. The Hashem comes and circumcises our hearts. I mean, we show up, but ultimately, it's enough that we showed up. The rest is going to be God, God forgiving us. But Rosh Hashanah, or perhaps all that comes before Rosh Hashanah in the month of Elul, is that, is that human effort, is that hishtalut of trying to make ourselves better, in both believing that we are capable, that we have those faculties to make ourselves better, but knowing that those faculties will only take us so far, and that ultimately we always need a Yom Kippur to round out a season of tshuva, because our own abilities can only take us to a certain place, and ultimately we need God in order to take us sort of over, over that final hump. So to me, it's always like this long drama that begins in the first of Elul that goes through Yom Kippur in many ways also continues through Sukkot, but in a totally different tone. It sort of goes from a drama to more of a little bit like a comedy. I mean, there's, it's, just, it's a different, it's a different tone of time. But, but I think that that idea is crucial that we remember that, is this combination that we try our best as if we can do it all, but deep inside we know that we really can't, and that ultimately God is the one who enables us to both put in that effort and when we're able to actually complete it. Rav Vitzel, thank you for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Sofa. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.